Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570-KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hope you're the sound. Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and the Commodore of cocktails. That's right. Or is it Commodore of quarantinis? Uh, we are almost out of this. Almost. Uh, will life come back to normal? Will the uh, will the plants grow? Will I mean, who's not starting a garden by this time? I mean, <laughs> actually, I've got a garden growing in my fridge <laughs> in the produce section. <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, um, I'm really looking excited to, for, to have somebody cook for me someday. I've exhausted my culinary talents, my culinary inspiration, and uh, I've decided that uh, the inspiration I find is is underneath a cork, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of underneath the cork, I've got three uh, uncorked bottles in front of me, uh, courtesy of uh, a master sommelier based down in uh, the central coast of California. Will Costello is uh, one of the ambassadors for the Bien Nacido Estates, and of course they have... Uh, uh, I think it was what Solomon Hills Estates, um, but we're going to talk about what's happening in California. Talk about first of all the uh, the Court of Master Sommeliers and and what it takes to to become a Master Sommelier and and how uh, we each have our own journey, so to speak. Uh, then we'll talk about the uh, the estate Biencito, which is a fairly large estate and has a great great history of being a, a very focal point of uh, viticulture in northern or in central California. Uh, and then we'll talk about these really cool expressions. I've got a Rhone wine, I've got a Viognier, and I've got a Rosé. Uh, without further ado, hey, Will Costello, Master Sommier, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, Christopher, really great to be with you. My- this, is a, uh, this is a unique experience, I guess, all of us being stuck in our houses. And, <laughs> you know, I missed the window on the garden, unfortunately. Uh, I live in Vegas, and the difficulty comes that, you know, if you don't get planting by early February and, you know, are outside ready to harvest by the middle of May, you kind of missed it. And I, <laughs> I missed the window. Okay. Well, uh, maybe it's indoor now, right? I mean, that's what's happening here across uh, Washington State. They're growing all thick kind of things indoor, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. These days. Hey, as well. let's talk about you. So, Will Costello, Master Sommelier, when did you achieve this uh, distinguished rank? So I passed the Master Sommelier exam in May of 2015, so I'm coming up to my fifth year anniversary. Uh, the year that I had the chance to pass, there were seven of us total in my group, which generally seems about normal for the average pass rate. In some years, it's you know three, and some years it's ten, but seven seems about right. And I had the chance to uh, pass that exam kind of on my last try. I had taken the exam a total of four times. First time thought I was going to pass everything on the first go, like most of us do, and got <laughs> a big goose egg. And the second time was able to uh, pass theory. And if you know, theory is one of the parts that we require now as a mandatory portion. And, you know, the third year went on, got a big goose egg again. And if you know how the Master Sommelier came Wow, you had to reset, huh? Well, I didn't because uh, the first year I didn't get anything. So I didn't actually start my clock. So oh, right. my fourth attempt was actually my reset year, and, and I had the responsibility of going into this exam, which has been described as the most difficult exam in the world, and uh, get both tasting and service. And, you know, 
it's better to be uh, lucky sometimes than good, and I, I guess I got lucky in 2015. Well, <laughs> congratulations. Um, it's surprising how how fast time flies. I know that uh, I was excited to have, we have a few of our, our own up here, of course, Chris Tangi and uh, Thomas Price, and uh, of course, Greg Harrington was a transplant, but Shane is here. And, and I remember when, when Thomas passed, it was, I guess it was almost seven, eight years ago now. It's crazy. It's like, Wow. Uh, and every I think time he passed in 2013, and you know I was there to see his uh, his pass, and it was one of the most emotional experiences. I mean, you know the weight of of all of the time and effort that you put into studying, and the people who you tell you know you can't have dinner with, and you can't go <laughs> off you know on a weekend experience. And Thomas Price, he uh, he was an inspiration to see when he passed. Awesome. Well, we're excited about it. Of course, now he's uh, he's sort of Mr. Incognito. We don't see him around here anymore. I'm sure he's quarantined at home, but I know working for the big company, the Jackson Family Estates, he's uh, flying all over the country and uh, in, instilling that inspiration and knowledge and sharing, of course, the passion we have for wine. Uh, you know, when you you said you took it four times and the first time you whiffed, I, I just took it for the first time last year. I was super excited. For me, it's, you know, the theory portion now being the mandatory first part, the first step uh, it, it to me it was wine jeopardy and i watched jeopardy as much as i can and i always thought it was just super fun so i liked the idea of being asked and i was surprised to think that people were just so nervous about it and i get it because the monster in our head is the one we have to defeat first and once we do that then everything else seems to be pretty easy of course it's not easy and uh, it should be easy though for these days because everyone's got time to study and there's no more work to be had and um, I've been hitting the books and, and trying to mentor some people but of course we get distracted and everybody's doing things on, on video have, uh, have you done any video tastings or virtual stuff like that? You know, not for anything in terms of the quartermaster sommeliers. I've done some things for Bien Nacido and Solomon Hills Estates, the winery that I work for. I have certainly got on the phone with a lot of colleagues, just giving them advice and uh, best recommendations. As you know, we just sent out at uh, the end of March the opportunity for everyone to sign up for the theory, which we're all crossing our fingers, will take place in July. And so we want... uh, I've got on the phone with a lot of different people asking my advice, and if I can share a little bit right now, whether it's with you or any of your listeners who want to take the exams, if you got invited, go do it. I agree with you. The monster in your head is the biggest one, and sometimes turning on the lights, i.e. taking the time to go see how big and bad this exam is, can sometimes give you a little bit of uh, confidence going into the fact that, you know what? That wasn't as bad as I, as I thought. And for me, it really gave me a chance after seeing it the first time to go back and adjust my studying. You know, sometimes in this, these exams, we start getting into the minutia. We start worrying about how old the granite soils of the Melon de Bourgogne and Severet Man is. And, you know, half the people in the audience don't even know what those mean. <laughs> and the funny thing is, this is an exam trying to create master sommeliers who should be the guide in the community for people who want to learn about wine. And if all you know about is minutia and the smallest little details that are honestly sometimes not as important as the big rocks, you're just missing the point. And I generally try to give people advice that go take it if you get invited and B, make sure you stick to the big rocks, the important things that everyone around the world would want to know about wine. 
Great advice. Uh, I know I learned, I, I studied a bunch of minutiae, and I realized they didn't ask too many questions about minutiae. Uh, but they did ask a, v- a wide variety, what, it was 115 questions or something in uh, 20, wait, no, I, I can't remember now. But um, certainly, it's great to have a recap with with Shane uh, to talk about how you, you know, where you were, where you stood, how you feel, how to approach it next time. And I'm super excited. Although I did start, a, you know, ironically, I did start a job, a brand new job. And I said, well, shoot it was a food and beverage director for a private club and so i rescinded and you know now i look back and go shoot man <laughs> that was i was starting a new job going to put all my effort into that and and really be a good employee and, and monitor a team of, of old uh, veteran uh, workers servers and things uh i'm kind of uh, regretful that i Obviously, who would who would know that COVID would be quarantining everybody? And but anyway, uh, you know, it's a great chance to to continue my passion for and share. I mean, that's what I needed. I needed a job on premise to to sort of inspire and share what I'm my passion with the service staff. And you are based in Las Vegas, is that right? That's right. I live in Las Vegas and have been out here since 2012. In June, I worked for the Mandarin Oriental. Uh, hotel, which unfortunately is not around anymore. The building was sold, and with that went the uh, management rights. It's a Waldorf Astoria now. Right. But I had the opportunity to work for uh, a chef, Pierre Gagnier. He's a three-mission oh, yeah. chef. He's got 13 different restaurants all around the, uh, the world, including three different three Michelin star restaurants. And this was the only one that he had in the United States. I had the chance to run his wine program and you know bring my passion about wine to Las Vegas if you know Las Vegas, we have dozens and dozens of exceptional restaurants. We have five grand award-winning wine lists in Las Vegas. And for me, the thing that I recognized was just how different uh, you could make a wine program without it looking like your neighbors. And so for me, it was primarily trying to find wines that not only reflected the Rhone Valley, where Pierre Gagnier is from and where his inspiration is from, but also the nearest wine region to Las Vegas. And Christopher, let me ask you a question. If if people flew in from Australia and Russia and Europe and China, guess where they think the local wine region is? California. California, and they definitely think Napa and Sonoma. Yeah. But if you realize that by driving, you can get to the heart of Santa Barbara from Las Vegas in only about six hours. And so for me, I recognized that so many people were asking these questions. Hey, I want to drink Napa and Sonoma. And they overlooked Santa Barbara completely, and so I had the chance to kind of guide them. Hey, if you really want to drink local, drink Santa Barbara when you're here in Las Vegas. When you make it up to San Francisco, you can drink plenty of Napa and Sonoma. So I had the chance to kind of guide the, the wine program here in Las Vegas at, at the Manor Oriental to showcase what we would consider at least local wines for, for Nevada. Fantastic. Uh, I had a chance to visit Santa Barbara just uh, last year <laughs> shopping for a retirement house for my grandfather. Uh, I went, but wine country was just a little ways away and it was super sweet, super cool. Um, it's, it's certainly, uh, it, it took me back to the wild, wild west a little bit. I mean, it had that feel, that old charming feel. And there's one main street and you had these shops with wooded, uh, you know, uh, porches out there and it just had a, a, a timeless experience, a timeless feel. Of course, all the wines were, were really pretty fantastic. I was impressed with the variety of wines. And, um, you know, we never think of Rhone varieties out there. We always think Pinot Noir, unless it's your Napa's, of course, it's Cab Merlot, Syrah, or sorry, uh, Chardonnay. Uh, 
Um, but this is really fun. So Santa Barbara, you had a, a gig there. I, I just heard that it was a Waldorf Astoria, which is pretty exciting. Although, I mean, who that just sounds pretty old in general, right? The Waldorf Astoria. I mean, who's going to Vegas to stay at the Waldorf? That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because uh, my wife and I, we watch Bravo quite a bit. Uh, her choice, not mine. And uh, she, she <laughs> managed to control in our house. And uh, there have been so many people from all those TV shows who've been showing up at the Waldorf. So, you know, I think that partnership uh, is, oh. is one for the, the Bravo crowd. I got it. Okay, well, that makes sense. Super cool. So um, we're going to uh, take a break in just a few moments here. But um, quickly, h- how big is the team at Bien Nacido Estates? The team, including myself, our winemaker and our owners is four people. Wow. So we have a winemaker, we have an assistant winemaker, we have myself as the estates ambassador and national sales director, and we have our owner, uh, Nicholas Miller. And so it's really, really small, and with that comes small production. Most of our wines are roughly about 1,500 cases in an annual you know, production. So small and special. Cool. And how many expressions do does Bien Nacido Estates produce? So in total, we make 14 different wines. Wow. And the funny thing is when you divide that by 1,500, it's all about 100 cases of each of those, some of them less. Oh, really? A little more. Okay. So we make uh, 14 different wines for our, our program right now. Amazing. Well, I'm super excited to uh, talk about the property, the estate, uh, the history of the estate, especially. I know that it goes back to the uh, the, the early uh, 1800s. Uh, and once again, I have three wines in front of me. Uh, the S.H.E. Rosé, that was Solomon Hills, you said? Is that right? Solomon Hills Estate, exactly. All right, that's a rosé, a, a Van Gris of Pinot Noir. Then we have a 2019 Viognier, which I think is very, very daring. These days, um, Viognier seems to be such a niche wine for most people because either they like oak or they don't like oak, or it wants acidity or not. Um, but I'm excited to taste this. And the other wine, the third wine, is the Bench Rhone wine, and that's a 2019 as well. Uh, this is a GSM, Grenache Morvet, I imagine? No, this is actually uh, a little bit more unique. Maybe we'll wait to uh, drop the drop the hint for everybody a little bit later. It's okay. Not a GSM blend. All right. Very good. Well, that's exciting for me. How about that? Hey, folks. Speaking with Will Costello, Master Sommelier, he's the National Sales Director and Brand Ambassador for Bien Nacido Estates, uh, located in Central Coast, California. Um, it was founded in. Uh, well, we'll get to that story here in a minute. But uh, I'm glad you guys are listening. It's uh, we're almost out of this COVID stuff. And then we'll be out to uh, to go out of the restaurants that have been shuttered. Uh, hey, folks, stick around. We're going to talk more with Will Costello, Master Sommelier, Bienvenido States, right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's live, he's local, he's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hey, welcome back. Time for round two, and I got two cool cats on the show, one being me, <laughs> and the other being a master summary, Will Costello, who's based out of Las Vegas, but he finds his way to Central Coast, California, to represent nationally the Bien Nacido Estates. Now, Will, we were just chatting about your history there, being in Vegas. And uh, are you in Vegas right now? I'm in Vegas right now, and I'm uh, I'm in my closet because I don't want the dogs to come and uh, come and 
do a cameo. Too funny. Uh, and I imagine the strip is still closed here. I mean, there's no indication when they're going to open that up, right? I mean, is, did anyone say? I know that the mayor wants to get gambling going right away, don't they? <laughs> oh, if you if you saw what she had to say recently, you'd know that it would have been open yesterday. So yeah. no no uh, timeline yet. Oh, boy. Okay, well, we've got time to talk about Biendecito. Give me some history about this, uh, this very original, the name, when it got started, and uh, maybe some of the past owners. So the first and most important thing is that Biendecito was actually the third vineyard planted in all of Santa Barbara. And that isn't the start of the history. In fact, uh, the property itself, was a Spanish land grant, which was given by the gobernador or governor of what was then Alta California, part of the Mexican and mm. Spanish uh, empire, was given to uh, a gentleman named Tomas Oliveira. Tomas actually oversaw three different missions in the region, and he was sort of the don of those missions. Mm-hmm. And when Tomas Oliveira purchased it, he started uh, a ranch there mostly dedicated to cattle. His daughter grew up, met a man named... Don Juan Pacifico Antiveros, and he decided to give that portion of land to his daughter and her new husband to start a family. The amazing thing about this is it's on a property that runs up next to the Cuyama and Tepusque Creeks, so it has freshwater source that lead their way into the Santa Maria River, and it's protected by a hillside that is mostly white shale, uplifted seabed that had been uplifted millions and millions of years ago when California was sort of shifting when the California plate pressed into the uh, Pacific plate. It's what gives us the cool climate in Santa Maria and what we call a uh, transverse mountain range, meaning an east and west running mountain range. And so Bien Nacido itself, it actually means well-born. And Hmm. this is a name that the Miller family, who currently own Bien Nacido and planted it in 1973, the name that they gave to pay homage to the Spanish history of the region. And in fact, Bien Nacido, it means well-born. They named it well-born because it was their family's opportunity to take over from the long history of the Antiveros, but pay homage to their, their Mexican and Spanish roots. Very cool. I love that. Now, is the Miller family, let's see, I mean, to buy that kind of land back then, I mean, the 70s, were they in oil? Were they in... Silica. I'm not sure. What was the Miller family's uh, legacy there, heritage? So it's amazing. Since uh, 1871, the Miller family and the, the original Thornhill Broom family have been uh, agricultural farmers in the Ventura and Santa Barbara region. In fact, a large ranch that they had over 20,000 acres was called Rancho Guadalasca. Rancho Guadalasca is a huge property right next to the Point Magoo uh, Air and Naval Base. And in fact, you're right. They did have a long history of land ownership in the region, and with that comes some dollars. They're very philanthropic. They've actually given a large portion of that Rancho Guadalasca over to the state to become a nature preserve. Ah. And in some cases, uh, because of imminent domain and the need to expand <laughs> the naval base, the government actually said, hey, you know what? We're going to need the land, but don't worry. We're going to give you a check. You're still going to have many, many acres of your citrus and uh, avocado groves, but we need you to move out of this small portion. And with that, Bob and Steve Miller in 1969 took that portion of money and they ended up moving up to uh, two different portions of the Central Coast, Santa Maria Valley, where they planted the Inacito Vineyard, and then another vineyard, actually 2,400 acres up in Paso Robles Highlands, oh, wow. French camp. Wow. That was, I mean, that was back in the 60s? 
70s? In the 60s, 1969, when they purchased and they actually uh, graded the land and got it prepared for planting, and they planted both of those in 1973. Wow, to think Paso Robles back in 73, that must have been uh, just a bucolic little town. Uh, It's pretty cool. I hope you get the chance to come visit us because if we get a chance to go out to uh, French Camp, which is up in Paso Robles, I mean, kid you not, we will drive for about 45 to 50 minutes out, out, out east, and you'll think that we're going to the middle of nowhere, and you crest this beautiful hill, and as far as the eye can see, vineyards. I mean, 2,400 acres for a single vineyard is something to behold. Biendecito is just a little bit smaller at uh, about 2,000 acres in total for the property, but only about 750 planted to uh, grapes. Wow, really cool. Well, I, I'm excited to head down there um, once all this COVID is over to learn more about Santa Barbara. And of course, Paso Robles, you know, we've got some big names down there. Of course, uh, Spellman MS and uh, is Fred Dame still working for Dow? But um, I know there's I a so. lot of, uh, of of talk about the, the greatness of Paso Robles. Um, I'm curious, so how many grape varieties are grown on the Biendecito estate? So right now at Biendecito, we have about 20 grapes. We have the classic Burgundy varietals, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Blanc. Uh, We have some more unique varietals, things that we've planted for partners of ours, things like Mondeuse, Rafasco, Friolano Bianco, Nebbiolo. We have a majority of the Rhone varieties, Syrah, Grenache, Moved, Viognier, Marsan, Roussan. And we actually do have a small portion of Merlot and Petit Verdot. And when you put all those grapes together, you know, knowing some of them love cool climates like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and some of them loving warm climates like the Rhone varieties in Bordeaux, you kind of ask yourself, how can they plant all of those together? And it's that hillside that I talked about that's a protective nature, gives us enough wind break that we can grow warm varietals like Merlot and some Rhones. But then we have the bench, the hillside that was originally planted that's exposed to all of the wind to give us a chance to grow some of those cooler climate grapes like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Interesting. And I see you got the bench roan here, which makes me think a little Mistral, perhaps, uh, keeping it cool with all those uh, UV rays heading down to create phenolic ripeness. Uh, pretty neat. With the size of um, Biendecito, I imagine you have a, a Lou D or two, do you think? You know what? We have a couple names for portions of our vineyard. You know, we have one which is called Block 40, but we call it the Captain. It's an exposed hillside. That's almost entirely on limestone, really, really steep, so steep that we had to build uh, a tractor with tank tracks on it just to be able to uh, (laughs) till the soils up there. We have some other ones called Dew Jigger and a few other, you know, family names, but nothing that we uh, specifically label uh, as a as a Ludi. Mostly it's the name of the blocks, those going from A through Z. And, of course, you run out of alphabet real quick. So then we started naming them with numbers as we started to get into the hillsides. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty much uh, utilitarian there, uh, which is interesting. And I, I know that you actually have some names. Like the bench is something we, we see a lot of here in, in wine terms, of course. Lots of benches, whether you're in Niagara, Scarpman, or uh, here in Vancouver and uh, B.C., uh, and also here in Washington State. And have you been to Washington State before? I have. I got a chance to uh, come up with Washington State Wines and do uh, our own little road trip. It's oh, not there the you same go. one. That's the, uh, the organized one, but we got to focus on Bordeaux varietals from all over the state uh, in conjunction with Wine and Spirits magazine. 
Oh, it's right really on. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so super fun. Uh, um, Kamiski's been up here a few times to uh, participate in my uh, Washington Wine Awards program. Uh, pretty neat. So, again, we've got three wines here. And uh, you said you only produce a total of 1,500 cases, or one, one expression has a total of 1,500 cases? Yeah, so this is, this is interesting. We make 1,500 cases across our portfolio. Wow. And when you ask yourself 750 acres, how can you possibly only create 1,500 cases of wine? And the reason is not every portion of the vineyard grows in the ways that we want to produce wine. You know, there are some southerly exposures that give us a riper, sure. richer fruit, and there's some that are much, much cooler. And so for us, for the estate program, which you know means owned, farmed, bo- fermented, and bottled, that we only keep about 2% of the entire vineyard acreage, the rest of which we sell to uh, vineyard partners who we've had for years and years and years who buy the fresh fruit and make the wines under their own brands. Very cool. And I know there's a, a couple famous names. I'm sure they're all famous, being the seal being the most famous here. Uh, and I saw some of the partners there uh, when I was looking, doing some research, which is really exciting, which means you guys are doing great work and people really love the fruit. And Bien Nacido, it's it's one of those names that is, to me, uh, growing up in in the restaurant world, I've I've always recognized that name because it was put on labels for a while, and and it just you didn't have. When was the winery started on your side? When, was it always seventies? Our first vintage was two thousand and six. Honestly, it was a family project. Make a little bit of wine for our owner Nicholas, his wedding, and to give out magnums and three liters to the family and friends. Well, it turned out to be some pretty exceptional juice, and uh, people came back saying, "When are you going to do it again?" And you know what they say about uh, social pressure, right? Sometimes you uh, you have a second shot of tequila or sometimes you start a wine brand. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting. And uh, you all said you grow avocados and Meyer lemons. Is that correct? You guys make limoncello? You know, we don't. Those go to a small, small, small packing house. Uh, there's only about 20 acres of those Meyer lemons, but there's about 700 only? acres of avocados on the property. Oh, wow. And, oh, it's amazing. It's some of the best guacamole you'll ever have. And in fact, at Solomon Hills, which is our other estate vineyard in Santa Maria, we have blueberries and some hoop houses there also. And so we've, we're a true agricultural property. It's what allows us to keep people employed year round and what gives us the opportunity to make sure that we're uh, sustainable in everything that we do. I love it. Speaking with Will Costello, Master Sommelier and the uh, National Sales Director and Brand Ambassador for Bien Nacido Estates. Hey folks, stick around. We're going to jump into some great wines right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's loud, he's proud, holding nothing back. Michael Savage, The Savage Nation, weeknights 9 to 11, Talk Radio 570, KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hope you're having a great Saturday night. It's time for round three. I've got three glasses, three bottles of wine, and two cool cats on the on the line, me and my pal, Will Costello, Master Sommelier and Brand Ambassador for Bien Nacido Estates. We're going to jump into the first wine is the 2019 Solomon Hills Estate Rosé. Now, Will, Solomon Hills, is that a different set of hills or is that same in part of the Bien Nacido Vineyard? So the important thing to know is our brand is technically called Bien Nacido and Solomon Hills Estate. Ah. So the two together, and just like some of the most famous wines in the world and my favorite region is burgundy uh some producers will make 
different labels for each of their wines. The ones that come to mind are Rousseau, where their Chambertin and their Clos de Bez look nothing alike. That's true. And for us, we have two single vineyards that are seven miles apart from each other, both owned and farmed by our family, the Miller family, and both made by the same winemaker at one facility. The idea here is that Solomon Hills tastes entirely different to be a Nacido, even when we're growing Chardonnay and Pinot Noir at both sites. The whole idea is that if you like more European, mineral-driven, bright and precise and fresh, you might want Solomon Hills as your everyday wine. Whereas if you want something a little bit more rich and full, Bien Nacido tends to give us flavors like that because of the heavier soil, more sun exposure, and typically the age of the vines. All right. Well, I like them both, (laughs) so sign me up. But uh, your old world style of Christ, the the mineral, uh, acid-driven, delicate fruit profile is one of my favorites. So I'm tasting this 2019 rosé. Are the vintages there, Bien Nacido, relatively consistent? Are we worrying about, um, because it's cool climate, are we worrying about frost or and your coastal uh, rain or or maritime influence sort of screwing up uh, bud break or having colure problems? All of the above, truthfully. Uh, We have frost issues every single year at Bienecito. The most recent one where it hurt us was 2017, where we had about 25% of our harvest uh, burnt by an early bud break that happened on February 4th, and then a frost that came in just three days later and uh, was down to about 10 degrees F. And so for us, we have that issue. We do have moisture, which does cause you know, uh, Millerandage and issues right around flowering. We have issues with uneven fruit set in the rainy years. We have issues with water berries that'll oh come in. So sorting for us is a big, big portion. And of course, at the end of the day, you know, making sure what we choose to go in the bottle is the final and ultimate test, right? There are sometimes barrels that we never even really, uh, We'll taste them and realize it's not going to make the cut. 1,500 cases leaves not a lot of room for error. Right. Well, I know if you want to make 1,500 cases of wine, you start with 200 cases of wine or 2,000 cases so you can pick the best barrels, etc. So tell me about this uh, Solomon Hills Estate Rosé. So this is a Vingris. I wish everyone could see the color. To me, it looks like that perfect uh, late summer sunset. It has those orange and pink hues to it. Mm -hmm. It's a wine that we always select. Uh, early to harvest, even though it's 100% Pinot Noir. It's left on the skins only for about a day and a half before we put this into neutral barrel. Everything at our winery is uh, is laissez-faire or hands-off. We don't inoculate anything. And in fact, we want to make sure the wines are about as bright and precise as we can. So this wine actually did go through 100% malolactic. Really? When you taste, yeah, you wouldn't think but the issue is that Santa Maria and Santa Barbara is actually so cool that if the wines didn't go through that malolactic or that creamy character, you would end up having wines that taste like battery acid instead of, you know, <laughs> quince and pamplemousse skin and a little bit of this sort of uh, orange, blood orange. And that's what we want. It's too funny. You said battery acid made me think of uh, glycol and antifreeze. That could be the next one. That's a different story. Not, not at this winery. That's right. Uh, really cool wine. I'm tasting it. It's deliciously uh, zippy, um, but it also, when I tasted it too, I was like, God, has this been in barrel? Because it's got that texture that just says it's it's been sort of slightly sanded. Um, it just has a little more, the tannin here is, is distinctive, um, but it is very, very uh, soft, but with a very, f- just a touch of firmness, like your, um, I don't know, just sort of dries the palate beautifully. And 
this, so do you have, use a special yeast for rosé by chance? Is this like a, a Rhone yeast or a burgundy yeast? We do not use any inoculated yeast at all. Everything comes off of the vines and the grapes themselves. We have, of course, our own natural yeast that are harboring themselves in the winery, but we've never pitched yeast in any of the estate wines. <laughs> so you're harboring fugitive yeast, are you? <laughs> yes, we are. Awesome. That's delicious. So I'm going to say that's probably a $28 wine, $35 wine. It is. It's a $28 wine, and, you know, the funny thing is we only made 68 cases of it. I've earmarked myself for two, Uh uh, so that leaves very few left. It's one of those that if you don't pick it up by the the end of May, and we're going to release it on May 5th, if you don't pick that one up by the end of May, you're probably not getting any. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely the kind of rosé that I dig. Um, And i got to say something. Your corks, you've got some fantastic corks, bro. These corks are absolutely beautiful. I was like, geez, look at this. That's what makes it a $28 bottle instead of 25 <laughs> I was going to say, ah, <laughs> uh, you've got the Bordelais going, hey, these cats are uh, impinging on our, our stuff. All right, next up is Viognier. And Viognier, of course, uh, has many iterations, the classic being uh, Condru and the Northern Rhone. Um, of course, the other classic being uh, California Napa style or Central Coast with lots of oak. Where are you? So, you know, just like a great chef can use you know, blanched spinach next to fresh spinach to do a contrast in a dish. We use three neutral barrels and one stainless steel barrel for fermentation on this wine. Again, this wine goes through natural fermentation, but here we don't allow malolactic to happen because we want to keep this wine bright and fresh. Mm -hmm. There is not an ounce of new oak, but really what we want to do is we want to highlight that texture and richness that you can get from Viognier, the thing that makes you want to eat something like broccoli rabe or mustard greens or chard to match that slight hint of bitterness with all of the expressive tropical fruits. This is a wine that was just bottled in February. It's a wine that has tropical banana notes, a little bit of papaya, even this mango tone, but isn't hitting you over the head with the aromatics of that jasmine flower and lilies. Personally, I'm not a big fan of like Easter lilies. They can just be so aggressive. This is a wine that's like that setting sun, jasmine, star jasmine, which we have in the backyard here. It reminds me of sort of June and July in any great part of the world. Oh, wow. I like that. That's a new one. That'll go up there. Reminds me of June and July, any part of the world, up there with fresh-cut garden hose, right? So we're talking about... <laughs> well, you'll be famous, too, on that one of those one-liners things. Um, this is really delicious. And I have to admit, I'm super surprised by the amount of acidity. We're always taught that Viognier is a low-acid grape, or at least moderate acid. Uh, and this one definitely is 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 pushing moderate plus, but it's it's certainly balanced because you get that richness, I want to say, in a way, the, the pork fat of, of a Viognier, it's, it's the which gives you that richness, and, and it has a little weight to it, but it, it balances because you need acidity to go with what something called I don't want to use the word flabby, but just that that richness of fat. Um, This is those subtle aromatics. I mean, there's flowers there, but certainly uh, fruits, tropical fruits, and and just hints of stone fruits as well. I always like to say there's a little, um, and there's that bitterness note, which is always odd because, you know, why is Viognier such an aromatic grape? Would it have bitter components? Can you you help me with that? Yeah, so the, you know, most of the, the grapes that have terpenes on them typically have thicker skins, either right. Carantes, even point. Pinot Grigio, Gewürztraminer. So the more thickness in the skin, typically the more bitterness you're going to get. And it's just like I say about those bitter greens when you're cooking. You know, if you blanch your mustard greens or your uh, shard, 
quickly and then shock it, it takes away a lot of those bitter greens. Uh. What our winemaker, Anthony Avila, does is he makes sure and balance how quickly the fermentation happens so that we're not sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And also when we press this, we want to get it off the skins as quickly as possible. Of course. Um, it's well-balanced. Uh, this is a $40 wine. No, this is a $25 wine. No way. Because most Viognier, yep. when it, people actually make great Viognier, they actually are able to charge a little more. Well, that's a steal. At 25 bucks. that is really a steal. And is Viognier a popular grape down in Santa Barbara? You know, there are two or three people who make it their hallmark for us. This is actually the first vintage we wanted to make this. Typically speaking, it's just a wine that we planned on selling in direct to consumer in our tasting room and online. There won't be any reason to uh, put it in restaurants. We only made about 100 cases of this. So we're hopeful that this will be one of those special wines that, uh, you know, graces people for the summer. They drink it quickly. Have a good afternoon, and uh, we'll make some more next year. All right, so I'm curious. You see, there's 100 cases, but you only use three different barrels. So... (laughs) Where's the fourth barrel come in? <laughs> yeah, so we use we use three neutral barrels and one stainless uh, steel okay. uh, additional sized uh, barrel, so about twenty five two hundred twenty five liters. There we go. See, I could do that math a little bit pretty quickly. Yep. <laughs> Super fun speaking with Will Costello, Master Sommelier, and brand ambassador for Biennecito Estates, located. Uh, what's the town that you're closest to? So we're in Santa Maria, California. Santa Maria, and that is just, is that east of Santa Barbara? It's, it's in, so it's north of Santa Barbara, about one hour. If you come to see us, we really hope that you stay. You get to experience sort of that cow town kind of thing that you talked about. Go to Shaw's Steakhouse, sit in an old dusty booth, and experience what, you know, this region has been like for the last 150 years. How about that? we got some Santa Barbara dust, or Santa Maria dust, as it were. Hey, folks, we've got one more fantastic wine from Bien Nacido Estates with Will Costello, Master Sommelier, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. We'll be on a great Saturday night. Time for our fourth and final segment with uh, Master Sommelier Will Costello, brand ambassador for Brian Nacido Estates. We just tasted the uh, Solomon Hills Estate Rosé, which is a uh, Van Gris of Pinot Noir 2019. Nice, bright, zippy, uh, a little bit of grapefruit, but tropical fruit notes. Uh, um, actually, uh, no, this is more of the grapefruit note. Um, the Viognier is 2019. This is 100 cases, limited production, so you probably want to jump on that. At 25 bucks, it's super steel. Final wine here is the 2019 The Bench Roan. Tell me about this, Will. So you know how uh, Batman has his sidekick, Robin? You'd usually think that most people who are making a own blend are going to pick Syrah and maybe put it with Grenache, right? That's the classic Batman and Robin. But for us, we know that in some cases, Robin was the one who really got Batman out of a sticky situation. And here, we did the same thing. We took Syrah and blended it 50% with Pinot Noir. And you almost what? never hear of a blend that's 50-50 Pinot and Syrah. And, you know, the reason we did that is because winemaking, right? There are two grapes that love stem inclusion, both of them, Pinot and Syrah. And so if you take those two grapes in the best versions of the Rhone Valley, old Syrah can taste like great Burgundy. And in the best versions of Burgundy, Jever Chambertin, for example, if you leave it long enough, it'll start to develop savory, almost beef jerky kind of qualities. They're two wines that always taste akin when they're older. 
but rarely do they get blended when young. So this is actually a wine that has about 50% stem inclusion on it, where we don't take the berries off of the stems themselves. We ferment them together, finish the wines on their own. So a barrel here of Syrah and a barrel there of Pinot, but finally blend them back together to a 50-50 uh, neutral oak bench blend. My my brain is racing. My palate is loving this because it, it's it's such a foil, right? I've got the Pinot Noir elegance and the, the great structure of, of acidity and tannin, but then I've got this savory note of Syrah in here. And I'm like, my brain is just like, where are we? What are we doing? Who? who stop! <laughs> this is really tasty, though. Well, this is the thing, you know, when when we talk about sometimes those barrels that are great and going to make it into the hundred case production of. Pinot Noir from the Captain, our reserve, or maybe the X block for our Syrah. Sometimes there's just a barrel that didn't quite make it. And you know what? As opposed to us selling it out the back door and having it blended into something else, we want to turn that great organically farmed wine into something. And this is when we got creative and said, you know what? Let's see what a little bit of Pinot and a little bit of Syrah together taste like. And it turned out pretty well. <laughs> a little bit. So I wonder how many taste trials that took to go 50-50 at the end. Hey, we got a barrel each. Come on, just jump, Miriam. Uh, pretty exciting. Uh, what a wild and wacky wine in, in, in a good way. It's it's such a refreshing take. Um, it's making my mind race. And a lot of times we, we like wine because uh, it just pleases us. We don't have to think about it. And then sometimes we like wine because we really have to, as a sommelier, right, we're trying to blind it, and we really dig into that and try to test our, our nuances and our, our senses. And here it's like it's so it's so delicious, um, but my brain is still going, wait, which is it? Um, it's really a fantastic wine. in the freezer for 35 minutes before you drink it. And that seems like a long time, but it'll get nice and cold. And honestly, this goes down like water. It's easy drinking, and it's something that you do while you're grilling. You don't really think about it. You just drink it. All right. Well, um, I'll, I'll take those orders from <laughs> Will Costello. Hey, Will, uh, this has been a real treat. Let's talk about uh, the estate that you are that you represent. Um, is there a, a wine club? Is there a website? Are there events coming up? Yeah, the best thing you can do is go to our website, and I'll spell it out for you because Bien Nacido is a little bit difficult. It's B-I-E-N-N-A-C-I-D-O estate.com. And on there, you can actually find uh, some great deals that we're doing right now for the quarantine, including really inexpensive shipping. Uh, Most of our Live events, unfortunately, are uh, put on hold until we figure out when this ends. We usually have spring pickup party. We usually have a summer barbecue at the estate. Our winemaker will actually give you tours Monday through Friday on his own in his truck to anybody who comes and visits. Our <laughs> wine club is really the best way that you could get a taste of our wines. It's very easy. Two bottles in the spring, always Solomon Hills, a Chardonnay and Pinot. In the summer, you get two bottles of Bienecito, again, a Chardonnay and a Pinot. And in the fall, you get our two Rhone wines that we make, Grenache and Syrah. You can pepper that in with Viognier, Ven Gris, The Bench, whatever you'd like, and some of our reserve wines. But really, it's the best way to get a taste of the wines before you come back and grab a case of this and a case of that of what you really love. I love it. Uh, com And Will Costello, do you have your own website for – I know that uh, – uh, oh, what's our um... – friend over in Chicago. He's just shooting those things out all the time. But uh, do you do any uh, uh, things to on your own? Do you have a WillCostelloMS.com or something? 
I do not. I fancied uh, – I made myself an email, willcostelloms at gmail.com, and I actually did it before I passed because, you Ooh, know, sometimes they say the nice. address for the job you want, not the job you have, and I never gave that email out to anybody until after I became a master sommelier. Too so funny. I can be reached at willcostelloms at gmail.com. Will, what a pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing your great wines, and uh, best of luck getting through this COVID stuff, and thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks so much, Christopher. All right, that's Will Costello and Bienacito Estates. Hey, folks, remember, when you're out and about, life is always better with the designated driver. Cheers!